Who were you before you lost your wild self? That's what we're helping you explore on the Tend Her Wild podcast. Through questions and tools around how best to listen to your inner voice, rewild ourselves, and live the most authentic life where we thrive instead of survive. I'm Betsy. And I'm Kate. And we're so glad you've joined us for this episode. Welcome, Tend Her Wild listeners. On today's episode, we have our first male guest, Steve Shiva. Steve is the father of two, an empowerment and embodiment coach, and the founder of Notorious Hearts and Man in Retreats and Workshops. The essence of his work is always the same, cultivating and curating a relational space where everything is welcome and where the dark and the light can be embraced, owned, and embodied allowing integration of the whole human being. Through his work, he fosters human transformation through diverse psychological, sexual embodiment, and holistic modalities. He works with men, women, and everyone in between. In groups as well as individually, tailoring transformational retreats, programs, and workshops that empower everyone to live totally, playfully, and most important of all, authentically. Welcome, Steve. How are you? Thank you very much. I am very good right now, actually. I'm very relaxed. I'm feeling very playful after the preparation for this um, for this podcast. So I've got a big smile on my face. Very happy to be here. And tell us, Steve, where you are right now for all of our listeners. So I'm guessing you mean geographically rather than emotionally or psychologically. (laughs) Just on the edge of the Lake of Zurich in Switzerland. I'm originally from England, hence the accent, but I've been living in Switzerland for the last 10, 12 years. Beautiful. And we want our listeners to know how we found you. You are our first man on this podcast. And... I met you at a retreat that you were a teacher at, and I was really struck by your work, but I think I was more struck by your presence, how you um, embodied a sense of stability and yet this sense of openness and emotional availability. And as I watched you work with various people in the retreat, I was just kind of astounded at the depth of your work, how you fluidly could follow people's emotions. And I was really impressed. And it hit me in that moment or sometime during that week with you that the type of work you were doing is very similar to the type of work I do, except you work um, primarily with men. I work primarily with women. And so this was one of the main reasons Kate and I wanted you on today, because we talk so much about our work with women the retreats we lead with women, women's issues, it's called Tend Her Wild. And we feel like we're finally ready (laughs) to have a perspective and to talk about the other archetypal energy of the masculine. And as we were brainstorming who that might be, you were one of the first people that came to mind for me. Mm. I'd like to ask you, what's it feel like to be our first male guest? 
Well, you just took a whole bucket of pressure right there and just poured it all over me with that <laughs> with that introduction. Before this. <laughs> yeah, it's like there's three billion men on the planet and I'm I'm the one that's been invited to um so there's a part of my ego that's like, yes, you know, I'm gonna make sure that part of the podcast goes all over my social media. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that would be the immature masculine and the more mature, healthy masculine is just super honored to be invited into this space. I have done a lot of work with men and women. So um, often what we'll do is the female facilitators will take the women, the male facilitators will take the men, and then the, the men get invited into the women's sanctuary or safe space once they feel that they are ready. Mm. And it's always such a beautiful space to walk into. And the men are always humbled. And that is how I'm tending to feel right now, being humbled as a guest in this space, which is very feminine. Thank you for that. Beautifully put. So, Steve, we do always start our guests off with a question because... Um, we find it fascinating from a psychological perspective, but also understanding people's stories. Just share with us what your first 10 years of life were like, where you grew up, um, any experiences early on that maybe shaped you? Yeah, uh, well, I was born in a place called Leeds in the north of England, which is like industrial, tough, shitty weather, and I grew up in a family of all women, basically. I had three sisters. The, the dog was male, but the cats were female. And if I was to really nail down an experience um, that has really shaped me and what has really kind of sown the seeds for the path that I'm on, it's the fact that my father was hardly there and he was away working a lot. And when he was there, he was not emotionally available and he was not available really, or my memory of it. So like I've got two older sisters, then there's me and then there's my younger sister. And so I was just filled. I learned a lot about women and about the feminine in my time in this house. I learned how to anticipate kind of reactions. I learned to Oh, when nobody's saying anything to feel into the moment to like I was became hyper vigilant because nobody was talking about their emotions this is the north of England like emotions are not even though it was so, primarily women they weren't was primarily women. emotions yeah not not that I remember when I think back to my time in the house I mean my my mother was very loving I have a, a wonderful mother she was working two jobs and had four kids and her own mother to take care of and husband was away she didn't have time you know to to spend and she was having a hard time and she didn't want to communicate that to us because she wanted to act strong and so she was very much having to be in her masculine so my my definition or my imprint of what masculine and feminine was all came through my mother and then this man would just show up every now and again, try to tell me stuff that I wasn't interested in, uh, make me feel small and then disappear again. So 
I'd say that's that's one of the biggest things that that shaped me is is that lack of father. And I spent a long time. Uh, he also died when I was nineteen, so it, I spent a lot of time thinking, ah, I didn't need a father. And it it wasn't until I started doing men's work that I realized how big that father wound really was. And you being with all these women, sounds like the women were actually quite in their masculine energy. Your mother, for sure, to structure, make money. My grandmother also. Grandmother. So your sisters probably carried a lot of masculine. And then knowing a little bit about your story, you also went really strong into the masculine, like the hyper-masculine. And maybe I'll let you define what that's like. And I know these are hard terms, but we want to explore this continuum today because it seems like it's a part of healing and balance. Yeah, before we go into this, I I did write a little disclaimer because I often give a disclaimer that my opinions are my opinions and you may, the people listening may agree or not agree. That's not really the point. It doesn't really matter. Um, I'm going to talk about masculine and feminine and men and women, and I'm probably going to use them interchangeably, but I don't actually believe that there is an animal called a woman and an an animal called a man. I believe we're on this spectrum and, you know, the gender roles or the gender of man and women, man and woman is very much socially defined and it changes across time and changes across cultures. Um, And when we talk about the masculine and the feminine, these are energies which are within all of us. So yeah. I just wanted to put that as a disclaimer. I believe we're all human beings. And, you know, just because I have a penis uh, doesn't particularly make me a man. And just because I can be in my vulnerability doesn't make me more more of a woman, you know? So, um, yeah. Thank you for that. I was a very, I felt emotions very deeply as as, as a child. And I felt fear very deeply and I felt sadness very deeply. And at some point I shut these off. And I think it had a lot to do with my father because my softness was, or my emotions were not welcome to him. He actually, my mom told me recently that um, he actually said, I don't want a sissy in the family. I don't know if you know this term, sissy. Yeah. So my tears and and my emotions were definitely not welcome with him. So I got this idea that, you know, boys are not emotional. And so I would do anything to avoid people seeing my emotions. But my body showed everything. I used to get very embarrassed really, really quickly. And I would go bright red. And when I was, I don't know, eight to about the age of 12, perhaps, I could be very easily made to go red and then I would get laughed at and people would point and then it would be like, oh, look, he's going to cry. And then tears would come. And I had all these strategies to avoid people seeing my emotions because the playgrounds are ruthless. And I became really sarcastic and really quick witted and really good at picking out people's vulnerabilities and cutting them down before they got me. I wasn't using my physicality. Um, It was really 
and really harsh. Yeah. Yeah. Huh? It was, it was your wit. It was the wit. Yeah. And you developed a oh, lot of coping strategies early. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And, um, and I would, I would say I became very good at it and it carried on way into my adult life until I started traveling and realized, wow, they don't do this in other countries, this sarcasm. And it makes me sound like a real asshole. And it wasn't until that was reflected back to me that I realized, wow, do I really want to relate with people like this? And I realized how much this survival strategy was automatically imprinted on me. And my desire to connect with people, you could call that the feminine, was covered over by this harsh, distorted masculine who was like, don't fuck with me or I will cut you down. And it kept me so separate from everybody, and which was the opposite of actually what I wanted. Right. When did that change? The armor started to come down. When I moved to Mexico in, in the year 2000, and I started to get the feedback from people there. Uh, so I was 26 then. And I started to get the feedback that I was perceived as being really horrible and that British people were often, especially when they were drunk, like could be really nasty. And I'm like, yeah, but where I'm from, if I call you an asshole, that means I love you. And they're like, yeah, but that's not what's coming across, basically. Not in these words, but that's basically what they were saying. And I was like, oh, that's really backwards, actually. The more horrible my friends and I would be to each other, that was our display of love. I mean, how twisted is that, you know? Because if I say, hey, I love you, be like, oh, you're gay. And that's like, for a boy trying to become masculine, that was terrifying. Now I don't give a shit. I really, I mean, <laughs> call me gay. I have no problem at all. But back then, it was really frightening because it was like, if I'm called a girl or a sissy or gay, that means I'm not a man. And if I'm not a man, who am I? Mm. So that masculine was defined for you so young. And so eventually you sounds like you really did the work to break free from that definition and how that had pretty much sounds like defined how you your interactions with ev with all people or just in relationships relationships yeah yeah it, it really took i i don't believe that a man can be a man without connecting with his feminine tell us more about that um, i have it oh you like you you like that bit because you both perked <laughs> up there we're like tell us about that yeah it's, it's a little prep before that we just taught a women's retreat this last weekend with 24 women. And they all said what a powerful experience it was to be in circle and to be vulnerable and to feel supported and to receive hugs and to speak mm -hmm. truth. And one woman at the end said, they don't have anything like this for men. And mm -hmm. how good we all feel being in such deep connection. I wonder what my husband would be like if he could have something like this. And it made me think of you because I know this is what you do. Yeah, I can say there are many containers where this, this exact um, 
type of thing exists for men. It, it's something that is, <clears throat> I mean, I just had one yesterday. I'm, I'm part of this organization called Come What May, which is a free to access platform and community for men to connect around sexuality. And I run the online circles for them among other things. And we had a circle last night, there was 27 men there. It was about the power of desire. That's what we were sharing about. And for some men, it was the first time they'd been in a sharing circle at all, never mind online. And the power that it brought, the connection, the, the feedback I got afterwards, just from an online meeting, it was super powerful for, for all of the men that they felt connected in this community and connected through this desire. Now, most men don't really, or most, a lot of men that I come across don't understand the value of being with men in a space that does not involve sports, does not involve drugs, does not involve alcohol, and doesn't involve misogynistic locker room behavior. When men are invited into a space where the dominant principle is presence, stillness, softness, sharing, connection, it's like they need two seconds and they are just poof. Wow. They are so longing for it. It's just under the surface. Yeah. That it's permission. so quick. The permission. It's so quick. Wow. Yeah. It literally takes, I mean, with men, uh, I can't say that competition only exists for men. Of course, there's feminine competition. Competition is something that's really big for, for men often. And once this is put out there, how we compete with each other, this breaks down one of the biggest barriers that men have between each other, something that's not really spoken. Men do not talk about how they compete with each other because they're scared. Once they do, they've put their weapons on the table and now everybody can relax. And it's like, like this, it's so beautiful. I have to say, I'm shocked by this. I, I mean, I've never been to one of your men's retreat, but I have made the assumption that you have to go through a bunch of, you know, hours and exercises to kind of crack men open and to have them actually begin to be vulnerable and open and share. But it sounds like it happens relatively quickly. Be, Are you shocked by that, Kate? A little bit, although it makes me think of like AA. Mm. AA circle and AA meeting where mm. there is permission to share granted. And, um, and my understanding of that is people really do open up because the container and permission is granted and, and there's an expectation. And so maybe it really is about just creating the safe space that, you know, I can't be that way out in the world, but in here it's safe. So you know, it's maybe that's an early example around alcoholism, but it, it's the same premise that, you know, there's permission to, and an expectation to be open. Permission to be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's something that obviously a certain, you could say a certain type of man would be attracted to mine and my colleagues, particular men's retreats. There's many men out there doing different types of work that, you know, are marketing in different ways. Um, you know, some men are really 
looking at this power aspect of the masculine and want men to get back into their warrior. There's these archetypes, the warrior, the lover, the magician, and the king. And many, a lot of men's work work around these. I come, from, me and my colleague come from a bit of a different background and it's very much heart led. We've also asked ourselves like, what is it that, that makes these so powerful so quickly? And what we decided to do very early on was to go through the process with the men. And what I believe is that most men, at least that come to our retreats, have a huge father wound, whether they want to admit it or not. And they are just dying for some guidance. They're just so longing for some men who they can trust to show them the way. So me and my colleague, we do all of the process with them. We start out by sharing our vulnerability to the group and go through all of the sharings and all of the exercises and everything with them. And we go first because we want them to see not what is expected of them, but what the leaders are or the facilitators of this particular process are trying to, are wanting to embody for you and give you permission for. And then I think it's just super easy. Ah, that's the standard. I can go really deep. And I remember one guy on the last retreat was never done any of this work before. He was there because his wife was getting really into spirituality and he was scared of losing her. And he was really judging me for my name, Shiva. We talked about that later. And he had never done any work and he was very resistant. But he cracked like this and he was one of the most connected emotionally, emotionally men on that retreat. And it was super powerful for him, powerful for him to have been given the permission to go to his emotions, which he'd never been able to do before. And he went like, what would you call it? Like a greyhound, just bam, straight there. Wow. Can I pause with you on this idea of, I think a lot of women, especially right now, I feel like there's a lot of spiritual growth happening and a lot of it's a difficult time. And I think a lot of women are starting to seek that out and doing work. And obviously men are too, but what happens in a relationship when one person is, is on that journey and maybe moving Mm. and, and, you know, uh, and even in my own relationship, we've talked about, like, we're both kind of on our growth paths and someone might move up ahead a little bit or have a couple of experiences that kind of push them forward. And then there's kind of this dance you play. Um, Can you talk about kind of how working with men, I mean, they may be coming to you because of fear of losing a relationship or what the impact of their partner's individual work is doing and how it's impacting the relationship. Can you talk about kind of how that? Mm. I I also work with uh, couples. Also, I don't just work with uh, men. And so it, it shows up in that also. There's often one person, one one in, of the partnership who's doing more work than the other. So this tension comes up often. And I mean, it's tough to say like there's a, that there is a particular way that this always plays out because it's, it's not going to be true. But generally if the the most amazing partnerships that I have experienced, friends of mine, people in my 
community who have amazing partnerships, they are they've both made a very solid commitment to go there fully always. I can't see it really working out when one person is doing, a, unless suddenly they become enlightened and they can accept the partner in all of their, um, in, in all of their issues and challenges, but that's not often usually what's going to happen. So you're going to get one person perhaps who's going off to all these retreats where they're experiencing themselves in different ways, sexually perhaps. And this other person is, not interested in that well something's got to give either you have to open up the relationship then and be like okay i'm going to get my spiritual needs met by another person and you can find someone who's on your level but we're going to stay together but i can't imagine that that would um that would really work out i want to back because i would love for you to share with people what finally cracked you open to doing the work? Because again, so many women we talk to, their partner is stuck or isn't stuck and kind of distanced from their emotions and not willing to be in an open space of communication. And what finally got you going to feel your feelings again after all those years of having to numb out? Mm. That's a big one. I don't think I've ever not wanted to experience my emotions. I was, even from a young age, drinking a lot, doing a lot of experimenting with recreational drugs, um, having sexual encounters. I, I had this such a yearning to feel and as there wasn't anything in the house or I didn't really have a model perhaps I was going out and trying to little did I know I didn't need any of the drugs or any of the alcohol and I can reach heights of ecstasy that I never even imagined um, without any of that but at that point I had very little information and it wasn't until like I was living in Mexico and I had this beautiful girlfriend from Acapulco, like just stunning and so much fun and so wonderful. And I, I couldn't go any deeper with her. It's like I was stuck and I ended up, we ended up breaking up and I, I had loads of money. I had an apartment in Cancun. I had a convertible BMW. I was, had the life I was living in a beautiful place and I couldn't feel anything at all and so I went to um, a friend of mine who I used to work with had moved to Cabo San Lucas and he'd started to train to be a transformational breath therapist and he's like come over to Cabo let me give you a breath session and I was really sad and my birthday was coming up he said come over we'll we'll go and have some fun but first I'll give you this breath session I was like, oh, okay. I was a bit annoyed by him because he was very preachy at that time. And this was like in 2007. And um, he gave me this breath session and it blew my fucking heart open. I remember sitting on the steps afterwards, smoking a cigarette. I used to smoke a lot then. Just looking at the sky. And I was like, what just happened? And I could really feel 
I went through so many different emotions and I could really feel suddenly in this whole time in Cabo, then I meet this woman who's just come from Pune, from the Osho um, ashram in Pune. She tells me about this in India, yeah? And uh, a very experimental laboratory for psychotherapeutic work and all kinds of craziness. And, um, and she was telling me about this place and how deeply connected everyone was and how intimate it was there. And I was like, oh my God, that's what I need. That is exactly what I need. And it was just like this, bam. I rented out my apartment. I sold my car. It was such a clear calling to go there. And I went and I did a group called The Path of Love which is a very intense seven day process in isolation as a group. And I was introduced to my shadow, my dark, my light. I was introduced to prayer. I was introduced to the power of vulnerability in group processes. And I finally felt like I'd found exactly the community that I've always been looking for. You ended up staying. And I, seven days yeah I stayed for eight months and I was living there and working there I was so blown away by this process of path of love that I couldn't I couldn't understand people who were going back to their regular lives I'm like I can't go back I'm too raw I'm too raw I'm too emotional I'm too vulnerable this is too much fun here I'm going to stay here for a while um so that was the beginning really I ended up fucking up big time a little while after this. And this then gave me the impetus then to stop drinking and stop smoking, no more drugs. Um, but that was really the defining moment was going to Pune, India and being with all these people who were so hungry for to find their truth, to peel off the conditioning that they had picked up in their lives and to get to the truth of who they really were. And it was just, such a deep calling to me it's like what's that phrase you know the crack the crack is where the light enters that this was my crack and it's been widening ever since it's pretty wide at this yeah. point you have a great quote um on your website that says if i have to convince you to live your truth you're not ready and i think in listening to your journey you know, you had moments of in your awakening journey, but sounds like, you know, there was a moment when you were really ready for the truth, but you had to kind of build to that. That is that accurate? And, and, and um, how do you work with people who think they're ready, but aren't, aren't really ready? How, how do you, I think there's a lot of us intellectually that want to be ready. Bring on the truth. Yeah, and then it comes and you're like, ah. Yeah, never mind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just Maybe go back. get back to you on that truth, right? Yeah. yeah. Wow, that's a big one because, um, yeah, a lot of people take that as like quite full on that statement, like as if I'm being an, like cocky, like, but actually if it's true, there's no point in me working with you if you're not ready because it will just be butting heads and for most men, they won't reach out for help until they really need it. And I was really at rock bottom when I 
when I made that decision. And a lot of the men that come to me, either in my coaching practice or in the men's retreats, they've got a big issue that they need to deal with. And this is just the programming of young boys. Like, don't don't reach out for help. It's weakness. Hence the numbers of suicides that are so high proportionately for men, especially for young boys. I'm very clear when when men come into the retreats, the first thing we do is, oh, maybe I shouldn't give this away, but something that I find very important is to look at the commitment. And if I don't feel the person's commitment, I will not go any further. Now, what most people do is they try this gung-ho, like, especially men, this uh, like huge commitment that sounds like the beginning of a 300, you know, the movie or something, or some kind of like, uh, rousing speech and um, and I check in with them. I'm like, are you really sure? Because I'm going to hold you to this. And this accountability is something which often we are lacking as men, I think, that we have other men to call us out when we're not showing up fully. But that's what my whole business is based on, basically, is, is accountability. It's like, if you say that you're going to do this, I'm going to remind you of this and I'm going to hold you accountable to it because if what you're doing, and I was also like this, if I'm going around like this, telling everyone I'm this and that, and I'm going to show up in this way and I don't show up, nobody trusts me. And if I do that with my kids, they don't trust me. If I do that with my partner, they don't trust me. If I do that with men, other men, instantly the trust is gone. And it's something that's so lacking. So I can't convince someone, oh, you need, this is what I did when I came back from India. I was like preaching to everybody, oh, you should do this and that. But actually, if somebody is not ready to at least open the door, I'm not going to like drag them in. It's just pointless. Can we, I'm really, I've been dying to ask you this question. So we've done several podcasts around the feminine and the masculine and the balance and seeing that in ourselves. And it was one of the most listened to podcasts. We got a ton of feedback, but it was talked about divine masculine versus the divine feminine. Yeah. I'm going to tell you in America, we understand toxic masculinity. So I don't need a definition of that because we, that is very, very well known here, but I, I'm so curious about your, you, def- have, a, you have a leader that, that, um, yeah. Embodies that pretty well for everybody. Yeah. But I'm I just really want to understand your definition of divine masculinity from the male perspective and in your work with men and you know the divinity that you are witnessing as people open up and, and how you would define it. It's a difficult one. We're throwing some doozies at you today, aren't we, Steve? I know none of this was in the preparation email. Eh? <laughs> I'm just, uh, but I'm I'm really happy to be given this, this to feel into it in the moment. And it's interesting because my body reacts when you say divine masculine, there's a reaction in my body, which, because this phrase is thrown around a lot. And um, I'm wondering if everybody really knows what it means. So it's, I'm glad that you, that you give me this opportunity to define it for myself. To me, the divine masculine, rather than this godlike figure, is just a mature 
masculine. So if I was talking about a man who is operating from his divine masculine, that would mean that he is in integrity. As Ruiz says, impeccable with his word, one of his four agreements. So whatever he says, he does, and he's congruent. And if he doesn't show up, he owns it. The divine masculine owns his shit and owns where he is deficient or not showing up. Divine masculine is presence, the ability to witness and to really discern when action is needed. I think one of the biggest definitions, though, is that the divine masculine trusts his feminine implicitly. Whew, can I just take a big inhale and exhale for that? Mm. How yeah. many men don't think they have a feminine? I mean, that's the beauty of the work you're doing, just getting to know their feminine side and embracing it and understanding it. Well, the feminine, so... Masculine and feminine, man, man and woman, have existed in opposition to each other, basically. We've been told this story that men and women are different. And traditionally, men have put women down here. And so a man is defined as everything that a woman isn't. So all of these attributes, traits that are judged in women if a man shows any of those, then he's not a man anymore. But because we don't have any schooling around this when we're younger, and what we hear is just judgments of both sexes, both genders. Actually, one of the most important parts of, of the feminine for men is intuition. Because men often go into their head because to stay in their body is too scary. They're, they're too vulnerable there. And in my head, I can. I'm, huh? just, I'm so curious. Why is it scary to be in the body for men? Because they can get hurt there. Mm. And they don't want to feel vulnerable. Because men are not vulnerable. Gotcha. If we're going to really oh. distill it down into like, what is the core message that boys, young boys are given? It's a sign of weakness. Don't cry. Don't show your weakness. And emotions. Go to that. Body. Go to that boy and hit him. Don't show, don't let anyone see your tears. You know, ah, oh, it gives me chills just thinking about it. Not all boys have grown up like this, but it is a dominant narrative um, for most boys mm -hmm. in our cultures. This might just go in a completely different direction, but sex is being in the body. Mm -hmm. So if men are trained to not be in the body, that's scary. Mm -hmm. What's the obsession with sex or how does sex, is that when they actually are in their body? And it feels, okay. Exactly. So I was hoping head. you were going to give me a chance to answer that. But you okay. <laughs> I was like, I, ooh, ooh, I know this one. I know These this my one. words. Please tell yeah, us. I mean, my... I can speak for myself, and I think often men will agree with this. Is my neediness, my grabbing for sex, it was to, it was the place where I could 
be in my body and feel intimacy on such a deep level. But to get there often, I would be drunk or on drugs and I couldn't fully feel. That's like Osho has says this thing, like, you know, men get to the heart through sex and women get to sex through the heart. Um, and for many men, it's where they can, or for myself anyway, it was really a place where I could fully let go and be fully in my body and get out of my fucking mind. Because what what woman wants to be made love to by a man in his head? Most women will go, a mindy. So yeah, it's that. It's it's the opportunity to to be in the body where it's actually welcome and invited and safe in many ways. Do you feel like through your own inner work, and I'm thinking of other men who are willing to do this, you're in your body a lot more now than just during sex? Mm -hmm. Shaking his head. (laughs) What's that like for people who have no idea what this might be like? Well, it comes down to so there's this idea that women are much more have much more pleasure than men i think men actually believe this you know women can be multi-orgasmic men our nerve endings are, are basically just in our lingam in our penis and you know a a lot of men that i work with they find it really hard to self-pleasure themselves to have a self-pleasure ritual that doesn't involve their penis but as men start to learn as i did to be more in my body and to slow everything down and to drop the goal of penetration or drop the goal of orgasm then it opens up this whole world of pleasure in places where I didn't really know could be possible. Like most- men need safety too, and they need softness and slowness to be fo- to be able to feel themselves fully. So it's in this slowing down and treating sexual sexual connection as a meditation that men can really connect to a deeper set of sensations and pleasure that does not even involve ejaculation and this is a this is a whole other thing where you don't even men are so programmed to ejaculate to feel pleasure that's it no ejaculation waste of time and porn has a lot to do with that as well the prevalence of porn Um, but once men start to realize like, wow, I've got so much feeling in my body if I slow down. But if I tell men that it's like, they've got to want to be interested and they've got to have a woman that is telling them. That was my next question. (laughs) By the way, I think this is going to be mind blowing for our listeners. They're going to be like, what? Yeah. 
as women, how can we support divine masculinity? How can we Oof. support men? And, yeah. It's really interesting because I got this in my chest when you said that, because my feminine goes to not take any more shit from men that don't show up. The best way to support men is not to mother them. It is not to accept where they don't show up fully in their divine masculine. Wow. Because otherwise you're enabling. The words, yeah. And so many women, how, how often do we hear like, you know, it's, it's okay, he's a man, you know, that's just how he is. No. If we accept a certain type of behavior, that behavior will carry on. It will be reinforced. You don't need to be a psychologist to know this, right? And if we allow behaviors that do not fully serve them and allow their feminine to develop and open and flower, then they are just as responsible for this. Because most men, when a woman says, I can't be with you anymore because you're not showing up fully, they will do anything to show up, but they need that. I'm sorry, I cannot accept this. I need more, not from a nagging place, from for me to flower, for my feminine to flower, which is ultimately what is gonna make your masculine flower and grow. For that, I need you to show up fully. You don't have to be a God for that. You just have to show up fully. And what you're saying for all those women out there that are scared to death to have that conversation is that men need to hear that to actually step up. Yeah. And if they don't know what you're talking about, it's not the right guy. If your man is spending more time gaming than he is looking after you or creating a container where your feminine can open and you tell him and he doesn't listen, then that's not the right. I mean, my last relationship just- It's a hard truth. Yeah, it's a hard truth. And I have to say, I've experienced this also. I'm not speaking from, oh, I've always been in my divine masculine. I mean, I've- separated from the mother of my kids not because i was gaming a big reason was because i had this idea that i had to work so hard to make sure that everybody was okay i was the provider and i went too far into that and forgot about my woman she also has her side of it but i can really own my side there i can see where the the places where we didn't match up, I was doing a lot of work. She wasn't um, the personal development work. I didn't want to have that conversation. I didn't want to face that. So I went into work. She went into the kids and ultimately we grew apart and I'm just as to blame for that as she is. If she'd have come to me and said, my feminine is screaming crying right now because you are neglecting her 
that would have given me a call to action. But ultimately, it came very late and there was another man involved. And, you know, I love, though, that you're giving women a potential script, mm -hmm. a way to come in and talk about this. And again, I think there's a lot of comfort that what you're saying is men need to hear this. They're, go they're gonna hate me for that and I'm probably yeah. gonna be judged a lot. You can have a lot of men at your retreats coming <laughs> up from every woman. To, that's to kill me maybe. You broke, you know, you broke my relationship or something. But ultimately there's a quote that I just wanna read to you. When a man is unwilling to move out of his comfort zone, breathe and step into life, he becomes but a husk of the fine-tuned and powerful embodiment that he was born to be. His capacity to face the real-time risks of a bold life weakens. Wildness wanes. His ability to stand strong and love through the challenges of intimate relationships is diminished. Wild. And that's by a man, uh, Eli Buren. He runs men's, he does men's work in the States. The irony of women trying to rewild and then... Men also need to connect to their wildness because there's a, there's a phenomena in this work where men can often go too far into their feminine side and become a bit collapsed. And they need to reconnect to the wildness because there's a lot of men were scared to put out their desires and scared to put out their more yeah, masculine energy, masculine sexual energy. It was like suddenly it was not okay. And then their balls are cut off. They become castrated and we castrate ourselves. And then like, it's not okay for me to ravish my woman, but actually that's what she's longing for. But from a healthy place, from a mature place. And so men need to reconnect often to this wildness and have the balance of stillness, softness, presence. But if they're not constantly challenged to find their edge, then they will become fat and slow and boring. So interesting. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So I love, will be in their heads. I love that basically you're saying we all need to be rewilding. Oh, everyone. Back to our essence, listening to our instincts, being in our intuition, our body, our heart. And you're saying men need this exactly like, well, it might look like a different path, but we all need this. That's where the magic is for, for everyone and, and, and for relationships, really. So Steve, we always like to ask our guests um, from the infamous book, Women Who Run With the Wolves, mm. about how there are a few precious doors into the world of the wild woman. So we might say this, what's the your door and being man. a wild man? Uh, you want to read them out? No, I don't, but I read you, these. I'm going to let you choose which, your door, which one is your door. And you might have more Defin than Yeah. Uh, definitely the first one. The first one Steve's jumped out at me. Yeah. Because, yeah, for my own journey to realize how wounded, how deeply wounded I was by the masculine, 
I was also a man hater for many years. And this is, a, this is another reason why I've ended up in men's work to, to fall in love again with men, to, to see them in their, all their beauty. Because I also didn't trust men for a very long time. I had no role models, you know? So I wouldn't have wanted to admit that I had a deep scar or a deep wound because that would mean that, you know, I'm vulnerable, right? And most men don't want to admit that they're wounded. But if they can, this is such a doorway into transformation. Uh, I can think of it every time I work with men, whether it's in a, a, in a retreat space or in um, a coaching space, uh, individual coaching, when we go back into their childhood and relive some of the experiences that they had in the childhood, they always find something which is like a really deep wound. And it is always such a powerful session. That point is usually the point where they see like, oh my God, there's so much more to why I am the way I am that I've never even thought about. And it is the result of stuff that's happened to me in my childhood that I don't even really fully remember. And I need to let that go. So that acknowledging that there is a crack, that there is a wound, can allow then the light to start pouring in. And, you know, we were talking about men, how it's just like this. It really is like a deluge for a lot of men. It's just like, bam. And if it's in a space. Same thing. I'm so hopeful. I know. That it doesn't have to take forever. Like men are hungry to open up and let that light blossom out. They are. And consistency is often a tough one as well. We have, there's often these peak experiences like, oh, it's amazing. I've had this amazing experience with all these men and, oh, I'm going to do this all the time. And, and then like after the retreats, yeah, we have, we have three integration calls afterwards and the amount of men that come to the integration calls gets less and less. The amount of connection gets less and less. The work, right? The work is you keep, keep integrating, keep integrating for the rest of your life. And it's uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. And where does the immature masculine want to go? To discomfort or to comfort? Most young boys, if you ask them, hey, where would you rather be? climbing up a mountain with your father or sitting watching TV and eating chocolate with your mother. You're going to choose to sit and eat chocolate. <laughs> yeah. Do I really want to go into the discomfort? So a man, anyone, but a man has to be able to see that this is like going to war. This is the edge. This is, these are the places where we grow in a huge way. And we need to do it with other men so we can go together and go, come on, man, you can do this to those darker spaces, the vulnerable spaces, and then do this in a, in a community, doing this in a community of men is so magic because it's, it's an energy that men have been looking for from women for their whole lives usually, and they can't get it. 
can't get it from us. Mm -hmm. And we've been trying to give it to them for our whole life. And it's, of course. Yes, it is. The answers are inside them. Yeah. If, if men are not showing up, then a woman has to go into her masculine. She has to. Now we can have, we can have a conversation about how women don't show up, but that's probably for a different podcast. But, um, you know, if, if a woman has to go into a masculine, then the man is going to be like trying to get that masculine quality. He's probably denied the fact that he needs men at all because he's never had it. And it's so sad to see this and to feel this in men that they've just, it's like a complete void where they're supposed to be a really strong kingly man. And it's a complete void in them. They just have no experience of it. They don't know what it feels like to be around a man that they can trust, that inspires them, and that they see is consistent. I want this for every man. I know. I want it for my sons. And my sons, them. absolutely. Well, Tell us where we can find the you. men can find you. And all the women listening to this are like, <laughs> I'm sending my husband. <laughs> yeah i was just gonna say um about just about the boys you know and many i I ran a a teenage boys mentorship program with another men's sexuality coach in australia called tyron mowbray and it was almost exclusively single mothers sending their boys to the to this and um because they realized like they just didn't have what the boys needed and so to all the women out there, I have to say, you know, maybe you're going to feel like you have to do it all. You can't. There's a part that you just cannot do. And there needs to be a community of men that steps in. What you can do is choose those men wisely. I'm, I'm actually a, um, a friend of mine who's a mother of a teenage boy. She's getting me and some other men together to create a rite of passage for her son because she knows she can't do it. Thank you so much for being with us and being so open and vulnerable yourself to share your story and, and the work you're doing. So tell us about where people can find you. So you can find me at the Ibiza Tantra Festival in October. I'm going to be actually teaching a few workshops, but one of the workshops is feminine energy for men. I'll be teaching about 100 men how to get into their feminine energy. Where is this? In Ibiza, Ibiza, the island. Yeah, it's a long way from you guys in Europe. Um, You can find me online at uh, notorioushearts.com and maninretreats.com. I run retreats for men at the moment in Mallorca which is also one of the Balearic Islands in, in Europe, off Spain. Um, I'm running Tantra meditations in Zurich. I've, we've got another retreat coming up in Mexico sometime in the new year, which is a Tantra retreat and sh- shamanism. And um, you can also find me at Come What May, which is um, this organization for men and young young men to connect with other men about their sexuality. 
So I'm I'm an ambassador for them and I'm running their online circles. So beautiful. We'll get, I get around in our notes for people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Steve, I feel like you're a revelation. I feel like this energy that you exude and the example you're showing so many of us of an integrated man. Like I feel the masculine and feminine are really beautifully integrated in you. And I'm just so grateful that we're able to um, speak with you today and share your message with so many people. Well, I have to say, say thank you for the questions and thank you for the, for the guidance, you know. I feel very welcome in this space and I feel very honored in this space. So I think it's really important that women, the feminine, challenge men on this and challenge them in the moment. Hey, what do you feel about this? Or what's your view on this? Or, you know, what do you think the divine masculine is? And to keep asking this because it's something that I know I need and often I feel like I can do it all alone and most men do also. We really need this from the women, like, otherwise we get lost. You know, we really do. Great challenge for all of us. Thank you so much. And now the amazing singer-songwriter, Lissy Morris with Wild West. Thanks for joining us today. If you like this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review. Come back and rewild with us again next week.